0: This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. This month marks 25 years since the murder of Matthew Shepard, who was targeted because he was gay, beaten, tortured, tied to a buck rail fence in rural Wyoming, and left to die. Shepard never regained consciousness after the attack, which caused severe brainstem damage, among other injuries. He died six days later, and his death garnered widespread national and international attention and served as a turning point for gay rights in the U.S. In recognition and remembrance, this Sunday, Choral Artistry will deliver an encore performance of Craig Halla Johnson's powerful three-part oratorio, Considering Matthew Shepard. The music, at times beautiful and ethereal, and at others a bit dark and maybe disturbing, is a truly dynamic and unique composition. It tells the story of Matthew's life, death, and legacy, loosely modeled on the style of a Bach passion. It incorporates a broad spectrum of music genres, including Broadway musical, country and western, blues and jazz, pop, southern hymns, gospel, classical, and even Gregorian chant. And just as Bach structured his passion oratorios with multiple text sources, in Considering Matthew Shepard, the composer takes texts directly from Matthew's own journal, interviews with his parents, clippings from news articles, among other sources. In the foreword to the score of this piece, director of choral activities at the University of Georgia writes that Considering Matthew Shepard, quote, Lovingly invites performers and audiences to risk opening up to a story in which we must weigh our own culpability and redemption to see ourselves in the lives of the protagonists and the perpetrators, and perhaps most importantly, to recognize the presence of the divine in everyone, End quote. Choral Artistry's performance takes place this Sunday, October 22nd, from 4 to 6 p.m. at Naples United Church of Christ on Creighton Road in Naples. And ahead of the performance, we're joined in studio by the Artistic Director of Choral Artistry, Trent Brown. He's also a Professor of Music and Director of Choral Activities at Florida Gulf Coast University's Bauer School of Music. He was an International Choral Directors Association International Conductors Exchange Program Fellow, which took him to Uruguay in 2017. And his work leading international performance concerts, festivals, and tours has taken him to Austria, China, the Czech Republic, Estonia, France, Germany, Italy, Lithuania, Spain, Latvia, and that's just naming a few. Last year, he conducted Choral Artistry's Southwest Florida premiere performance of Considering Matthew Shepard. Trent Brown, welcome to Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On X, formerly known as Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So before we delve into Sunday's performance, I wanted just to talk
1: a bit about choral artistry itself. Tell me about the organization. Yeah, I'll give you the quick version of it. I've been with this group. This is my ninth year as their artistic director, um, and we've seen some transformation over time. Long, long ago, this group was affiliated with the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra. Before I came on with Choral Artistry, they had separated from the orchestra, um, and we'd undergone some rebranding in the last couple years as well. But essentially, Choral Artistry is a group of really committed musicians who are not professionals. Many are professional musicians, uh, but several come from other walks of life as well, um, and typically meet once a week for rehearsals, and we do three or four concerts a year, two of which are always an educational outreach. We're the ensemble in southwest Florida that uh, tries to engage the community in, in broader educational activities as well. And we do, as you mentioned, some choral orchestral symphonic things, but we'll also do some smaller chamber works as well, which puts us in this special category that we call choral artistry because we're not just one uh, one thing. So that's kind of us in a nutshell.
0: All oh, right. And as you mentioned, you do have professional singers in the group, also members of the community. Either way, there's an audition process, no?
1: Yeah, yeah. We do have an audition process. Uh, we don't ask anyone to sight read because that's not something we do. We ask our musicians to come to rehearsal prepared. And that's another thing that maybe separates us is that we we have an expectation that people come in learned and then we use fewer rehearsals to try to get more performances ready.
0: Yeah. How large is the
1: group typically? Well, that's a good question. Typically, it, it ranges in size uh, anywhere between maybe in the low 40s to the, the, the 60s or so, but we will sometimes collaborate with other organizations. We've collaborated with Opera Naples, with the university ensembles here at FGCU. So sometimes we're in performance as a group of, say, upper 30s or lower 40s. Sometimes there might be over a hundred of us. Wow!
0: Yeah. Um, you know, on that note, just the name Choral Artistry. If, if I understand correctly, this is going to be your second performance season under that name. Aside just being advantageous from a, a marketing perspective, a little simpler, does it more accurately reflect the the scope of music that people are going to experience when they come to your performances?
1: Yeah, it really does. Our previous name was so similar to the Southwest Florida Symphony; it had been Symphonic Chorale. and that's still a part of what we do. Even this particular season, we'll do the Duraflay setting of Requiem at the end of the year, a major choral orchestral work, you know, that we will utilize the orchestral forces. But choral artistry gave us more permission or just branded what we had been doing in addition to that, which is chamber works. Two years ago, we had done the Rachmaninoff Vesper settings entirely unaccompanied, all in Russian. And so it captures more of the diversity of repertoire that we tend to do.
0: All right. Yeah. That sounds difficult and fun. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a
1: great, great experience for us, yeah.
0: Well, let's let's delve a bit into considering Matthew Shepard. The official premiere performance of this was in 2016, so it's relatively new.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did this first come up on your radar? Did you immediately think, i got to bring this to Southwest Florida?
1: Well, you know what I did? When I first started to hear about it at choral conventions and in circles, I thought this would be such a great community to deliver this work in because typically performances had been in more metro areas around the United States. And there had been very few performances, even in Florida. I think we were preceded only by the University of West Florida in the state to have performed it. I think they were the only ones to have done it before us. And my colleague there, Peter Steenblick, had done it. And we had a conversation about it. And what was the experience like for you and the students? And he was so positive about it. And I thought it would be so important to do this in the community, to deliver it to Southwest Florida, being the particular sort of makeup that we are. Although we have the college community, we enjoy a wide variety of ages and demographics here, especially our retired population. And I thought that it would be an opportunity for us to have Matthew's story heard and remembered. And so when the anniversary came about, we wanted to do a repeat performance. We had done our last one in Lee County up in Cape Coral and wanted to bring this to Collier County for this particular performance. And it happened to fall at a time when there has been a lot of conversation in the state as well about gay and transgender rights. And so everything sort of worked out for us to want to share this story again. I mean, I think what's so powerful about this oratorio, John, is that it's so wide-tented. As you mentioned, it has country, blues, rock, traditional choral chant. And Craig Hella Johnson's intention was to make the music wide-tent so that everyone could listen to it and experience it. Our own ensemble, for example, is made up of a very diverse group of people. We have black, white, brown, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, everyone in that group that identifies in any sort of category that you might try to stick us in in Southwest Florida. But everyone knows that the story is important to hear and to tell and to to sing so that something like this never happens again. I want to get into a little bit of the some of the technical elements to yeah. it.
0: What are some of the ways that you would approach directing this piece in particular in a way that might be different from how you'd approach a more conventional piece? And for instance, like I'm thinking about how, you know, the spoken word elements, there's this insistence that these recitations be spoken naturally and not projected theatrically. Similarly with enunciation, it's key. The words, Mm -hmm. whether spoken or sung, need to be clearly heard throughout. And that's not always the case.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think what's challenging about this particular work is that we bring our passion to it, and you have to be careful to contain that passion so that it doesn't take over the technical requirements of the story. Craig did a great job of writing the music and putting the text to music, so we want to be the ambassadors of that, and we want to be emotional in our delivery, but not, as you mentioned, so over emotional that it takes away from. What the music is saying. I think approaching it, one of the things that I had to do when we first learned it was save some of the areas that you, I think, described so well as dark or disturbing. I waited to rehearse those with the ensemble until we had more buy in on the parts that were, for lack of a better word, more accessible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some areas in here where the chorus takes the role of what would be the Westboro Baptist protesters at Matthew's funeral. And it's a very, very hard movement to sing just because of the text. And it took us a while to understand how we wanted to deliver that so that we could create that emotional part of the oratorio.
0: Yeah. One element I found particularly moving is how the piece begins with this sweeping depiction of the Wyoming landscape. Mm -hmm. It's called Cattle, Horses, Sky, and Grass. And then that's reprised at the conclusion of the epilogue. What function do you see that serving in terms of either the Bach passion structure or perhaps just helping to end the peace in a way that evokes a sense of peace or hope.
1: Yeah, I, I think certainly the Montana landscape or the Wyoming landscape, rather, excuse me, does give us that idea of the vastness and the just the beauty that the world has and that even though this horrible thing happens, that we come back to the necessity to reflect on this horrible thing but know that there's still so much beauty and love in the world that keeps moving us forward. And I think that those pieces that you mentioned at the beginning and the end that come back are also meant to highlight the text of of something we hear at the beginning, which is ordinary boy, that Matthew was, you know, he could have been your neighbor, he could have been your nephew, your brother, your son. And that's what's so frightening about Matt's story and why we come back to it at the end, after telling the tale, is that this story has to be told and, and sung so that something like this doesn't happen to your nephew or your son or your granddaughter, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, well, I thought I was going to have to tee up or cue mm-hmm. up a little bit of Ordinary Boy, and this is a, some audio we're going to hear from a, a recent rehearsal, but you've teed it up so beautifully. Um, let's just hear a little bit from Ordinary Boy. Trent, can you provide a little more context to what we were hearing there? I mean, you knew him as Matthew. To us, he was – are we hearing the words of his parents?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of this particular movement later uses – text from Matt's journal where he talks about the things that he liked to do. He liked to go to airports, he liked to walk and go on runs, and he liked to eat pasta, and he liked to travel in Europe, and, and it just talks about the ordinary things of him. And, and even the beginning of this sets it up. Ordinary boy who had a younger brother, and even though we identify him as Matthew, his, his folks called him Matt. And there's this really cute line that we heard there where they talk about all the things that Matt liked to do. He liked to go camping, and he fished. He had even been moose hunting, and then when he was a kid, he used to write these letters to people in his neighborhood and stick them in the mailboxes, but without stamps, you know, through the proper channels of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Postal Service. And then he found out it, it was illegal to do that, and then he stopped doing that. So just cute little things about his life and, and what's so hard about this uh, particular movement and just the work in general is you think about the life that wasn't lived and yeah. all the all – the, love that he shared in just those few years on earth and that he still had to share. And, you know, much later in the work, there's a line where there's talk about dancing with all the children that we lost along the way. And in our rehearsal this week, we talked about that being such an important line because while we're telling Matthew's story, you know, it's more than just Matthew. um, And that's why it's so important to, you know, to share this work.
0: I think you've touched on this a bit earlier in the conversation, but can you talk a little bit about how the process of learning and rehearsing this Mm -hmm. piece may have impacted you or members of the ensemble? Um, I was reading an article uh, about another performance of Considering Matthew Shepard, and the conductor had remarked that some of the younger singers in his group, they didn't really know his story prior, I I guess just because when they were born... I, I was yeah. in high school at that time. Uh, I was not yet out. It was very a rot period yeah. in my own life. So that just kind of struck me. I'm wondering if in the process of these rehearsals, it's led to some discussions.
1: Yeah, it has. And I think another thing that's unique and special about our group is we're we're somewhat multi-generational. So yeah. we have some people singing with us that are college students, several that are recent college graduates. Um, And that generation, John, as you mentioned, they heard about Matthew Shepard by this work. They Mm -hmm. they didn't know about him. Um, A few years ago when Matthew, um, when his remains were brought to Washington, D.C., then some people may have heard about Matthew. And then for our singers who are, you know, our age and older, yes, then they know the name Matthew and they remember this. Remember what a dark time it was to have heard this horrible story. And like you I was, I was in college at the time when Matthew's story uh, uh, came out, and I remember just hearing so many stories of people saying, that, that could have been me, you know, that could have been me. And I, Hopefully that was a turning point. You'd like to think that it's a turning point in the United States. Sometimes it feels like we take a step forward and then we take a step backwards or sideways. Um, and maybe even more reason to, you know, to continue to tell this story about Matthew so we can move forward, that mm-hmm. we can be better as a country.
0: Yeah, I mean, on that note, I don't have to tell you, you know, the last two years in the state legislature uh, have not been great for Mm -hmm. (laughs) the LGBTQ community. I mean, to the point that multiple human rights organizations have actually issued travel advisories for people considering coming to Florida. This being the 25th anniversary month and that context, I know, is part of why you thought it was so important to do this. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, did it give you any reservations, particularly in this area, which is a – a fairly conservative stronghold.
1: It, it didn't at all, um, because I don't think that that sentiment is is universal in our community, and even in Southwest Florida, that as you say is is you know maybe more conservative. Even as I look at our own ensemble, that has very conservative members in it. You know, people who have voted conservatively in the last several presidential elections and plan to moving forward, still know that this story is important and that. You know, LGBTQ rights are something that we need to reconsider as a state. So maybe a small handful of people in the state have made these decisions on the behalf of Florida. But even in southwest Florida, I don't see that as how the community feels. It gave us even more resolve to be committed to telling the story.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, considering Matthew Shepard, among other things, has been characterized as a meditation. Mm -hmm. What do you want audiences who come out to Sunday's performance to take from it? What do you want them to maybe be contemplating or considering maybe even long after the performance ends?
1: I think that anyone who is looking at an individual who would identify in a marginalized community, that there's an immense – there's humanism with that person and there's love and there's a life that has something to offer uh, our community and their family and others. And – this idea of putting people in boxes so that they fit into a little political structure is, is not how we – it's not how Florida needs to operate. You know, we want to look at individuals as human beings and that – I think Matthew's story shows that, you know, that he was someone – he was an ordinary boy. You know? and, and there's so many stories like that around Florida um, that I think right now are, are not being told or, or not feeling heard. And maybe this gives us a chance to, um, to just take a step back. And there's a, there's a line in another movement that says, if you could know for one moment how it feels to live in our bodies within this world, you ask too much of us, you ask too little. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, I think, is something that we'd want to take away from it as well, too, is not only how this relates to Matt's life, but, um, but all of our fellow Floridians and how we can best understand each other and live in a loving community.
0: Well said. Well said. Thanks. Well, Trent, with our, our remaining time, I, I'd love to maybe highlight some other things beyond considering Matthew Shepard that uh, choral artistry is going to be providing for audiences this performance. Yeah.
1: Season. Yeah. We've got a couple things. Later in the year in April, we're going to combine with the um, university chamber choir and our orchestra, and we will do Duraflé's setting of Requiem. It's a beautiful choral orchestral work that uses as its thematic material all Gregorian mm-hmm. chant but it's a 20th century work. So it's really a staple in choral orchestral masterworks. um, And we're really, really excited to perform that. I mentioned that we do these educational outreach activities and we have our annual one in February, February 3rd and 4th. We call it Sing Out. And we bring anyone from the community that wants to join us for a weekend to come in and workshop music. So we've had lots of different Titles and and um, uh, and and repertoire that we've done over the years. Uh, last year we did all music by African American composers. Uh, a couple of years before that we did all music of Latin America, um, and so it's really been a lot of fun to maybe get our hands on some music that that you can really focus on. And we bring in an expert, you know, to help us work with those. This year's sing out title is Kol Tikkva. The Voice of Hope, and we're bringing in Dr. Corrine Duffy from the University of Montana, who used to live over in West Palm, and she's a a specialist in Jewish choral music. And so she'll be working with us for the weekend on all music that's... um, either written by uh, composers who are Jewish or that, that celebrates, you know, the the Jewish culture. And we, you know, we planned this with her a long time ago, uh, you know, but you well You have an over untimely year. knack. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to think very carefully about next year's plan, uh, you know, because um, – as, you, you know, as you've indicated here, the, the events of the last week um, have made this even maybe more relevant for us to come together and, and have this voice of hope and, and, and learn Jewish choral music and celebrate it and, and show some solidarity. So uh, we hope that members in the community that might be interested in that, check out our website, choralartistry.org, um, and see how you could register to be a part of that with us this, for the weekend.
0: All right, excellent, excellent. Well, that is all the time we have for today's show, but I want to thank my guest. We've been speaking with the Artistic Director of Choral Artistry, Trent Brown, ahead of their encore performance of the powerful three-part oratorio considering Matthew Shepard during the 25th anniversary month of Matthew Shepard's death. That performance is going to take place this Sunday, October 22nd, from 4 to 6 p.m. at Naples United Church of Christ on Creighton Road in Naples. And for more about the organization or to secure your tickets, visit choralartistry.org. Trent Brown, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, John. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl. Or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard chinqui For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.